Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. How is everybody? How's everybody doing today? Beautiful opening, Nicole. Very good. It's so good. Hold on, i got to open my water. For those of you on the podcast, I'm opening my water. I'm aware. I'm aware. Oh, yes, thank you. Y'all, it's so awesome. Y'all are the best in the world because you know every week. Let me tell you something about public speaking. When people are up in front of people, you're all your blood rushes to your brain so you can think and kind of be quick on your feet, you know, so your extremities have no blood in them, and they get cold, and your nose runs. <laughs> so you know how I ask every week. So I've got one in my pocket. Sweet Lori put some up here because she's like, I know you're not. And Nicole, hold that up. She's brought an entire Kleenex box for me. <laughs> if my nose runs were covered today. Because when I get cold, I'm like, okay. But today, I think you're going to like this. Today, how many of you would love the formula to happiness? Yeah, everybody likes to be happy, right? Oh, yes. The pursuit of happiness, you know, the whole thing and the Declaration of Independence. We Americans are especially big on it, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, that's kind of our thing. So we're on this journey together in this series called Life in the Kingdom. And this is week number four, and I'm going to recap a little bit. The first week, we heard Jesus' very first ever public words of ministry, repent, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, in any way you shake those two up with your, within your Bible, and you read that verse, they mean exactly the same thing. Remember, that's what I taught you that first week. They mean the same thing. It's like if you hear the words, the White House has issued a statement, you know what that means right? You, you know what that means. You know who is actually issuing that statement, right? And the power behind it. So that's what this is. Repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was week one. We talked all about that. Week two, Nicole talked about righteousness, peace, and joy, how we all need to get a grip, right? If you're missing one of those, you're missing a third of the kingdom, right? It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful message. I loved the message. And then last week, we talked about dominion. Who was here for dominion, ruling, reigning? Yes, we talked about what does that look like. And when you hear me refer to, chapter, uh, to page 1, page 2, and page 3, I'm always talking about Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. And, and in, uh, in, on page 1, dominion and ruling and reigning is something God has given to the sons of men. The earth, or sorry, the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. And it is very important, if you as a Christian do not understand your dominion, rule, and reign, you will live below what Jesus died to give you. You will never, um, you will never go to that law office and find out what your full inheritance is, because you won't think that that's even part of it. You won't even know about it. So, this week, we're going to move down into Matthew 5, and we're going to pull it apart. We're really going to pull it apart, and we're going to look like, what does the pursuit of happiness look like in mine and your life as we live in the kingdom of God here on the earth, right? We know we're going to be in the kingdom of God in heaven, but this is all about us here on the earth living in the kingdom of God. So at the top of your notes, I asked you to do this the first week. I'm going to ask you again. I want you to write your definition. We're going to take a moment. I want you to write your definition of the word happiness. Oh, and Susan's phone's ringing. So awesome. It could be, I wish it had started playing the Jeopardy song while they were writing. Do, 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 do. While y'all are writing your, your definition. Because I want you to hang on to it. You know, we're going to circle back around to it. Your definition of happy. Now, how many of you have ever been to a country where they drive on the wrong side of the road? And I do mean the wrong side of the road, right? Well, what I have learned is it's a very small amount of countries that actually drive on the wrong side of the road. But I think I've been to almost all of them. I'm, well, I mean, I have not been to Syria, thankfully. I have not been there. But... I have been to Australia, Nicole, Bailey, 
That's right. That's right. Anyone? Yes. It's horrifying if you're even paying the least bit of attention. I mean, horrifying. Like, I'm not, I'm not just kidding. I, I, there's nothing right about it at all. When I tell you that it's on the wrong side of the road, it's on the wrong side of the road. It's not on the right. So driving with Bailey. So I get to Australia. She's in college there. And Lachlan has given her his car. I'm thinking he must be in love. You know, they're in school at this time because he's given her his car. And she has no idea how to drive in this situation. And so I get in the car with her, and, and she's doing pretty good. She sort of stays in the middle of the road, you know, because the steering wheel's on the wrong side, too. Everything's wrong. Everything is wrong. It's just a wrong situation. So she, in order to compensate, and he kind of pulled me aside before we – because we left, he was still at the church, and we took off and went somewhere. And he was like, hey, Miss B, she's going to drive right down the middle of the road. That's quite where she likes to stay, right there. She feels bad. I was like, I, I don't quite feel good there. And then we get to every 20 feet, there is a roundabout. I mean, y'all think there, you think Leland is bad. You should go to Sydney, Australia. So she kind of like, she's revving the, revving the engine and so she just goes she just goes and I was like oh only it's this way and I was like what and she was like oh mom I'm, I'm sorry you know in these roundabouts I just got to get committed and go <laughs> that was what she said I just got to commit to it and go she just mashed the gas and somehow we didn't die I don't even I don't even know I was just like I don't even know what's happening it was so awful it was just awful it's terrifying now, for me, why would that be so disorienting for anybody here in the room? Because for years and years, we have trained ourselves to drive on the actual right side of the road, right? We don't even think about it. It's just this automatic thing. We don't even think about it at all. So we, at some point, you do stop. Have you ever driven someplace and thought, I don't even remember how I got here? Have you ever done that or you've been so tired going somewhere? Life in the kingdom is counterintuitive, some people say life in the kingdom is quite upside down. Yeah, right, not right side up or right side up. It's upside down. Yes, it's upside down because it, do, it doesn't quite make any sense because it's sort of counterintuitive to us. So what Jesus is basically teaching them in this kingdom message of his is how to be a new human literally that's what he's teaching them and the difference is though he's not asking them to move to Australia he's like I want y'all to go out on oleander where right where you live and start putting these values I'm giving you right into now what if we did that what if we all left here today and went out there and started driving on the wrong side of the road Tickets, collision, I mean, imagine what would happen. It would be like mayhem, right? It would truly be like that little commercial, that little mayhem guy. You know, it would be like that. It would be awful. I mean, it would be crazy. I, you can't even imagine it. So what he's saying is don't leave the world that you're in. Don't, don't do that. But live in your world with these new values. That's what he was telling them. And I could get into a whole teaching on what this actually looked like to them as followers of the Torah, that is a whole other, and Jesus knew it because he knew the Torah better than anyone. But he, and he realized what he was teaching them was a whole different, you know, and they're, they're you know, asking him at some point along the way, by whose authority are you, because the Torah and the teachers of the law were the highest, right? They were the highest authority. And so he was like, there is a new sheriff in town. It's basically what he's saying. And I got a whole new set of values. Like, you know, not just, not just don't commit adultery. Don't even look at a woman with lust in your eyes or you should gouge them out. Or, you know, it goes on to say like a lot of stuff. You know, don't even be, don't, don't commit murder. Don't even be angry in your heart or you've already committed it. Like he got, he's like, oh, y'all want some, you want a shift? I got a shift for you. I mean, he does that over and over again. It's very, very powerful. So we have talked about his very first public words of ministry, and today we are going to break apart his first ever sermon, the first ever sermon that he gave. We're going to talk about that 
before we get into all the fun stuff of signs and wonders and miracles in all the weeks to come, we have to lay a foundation of what was happening, what was going on in the world when Jesus was talking about this. What was happening all around him? Who was there? What was going on? It's important that we do this. So back in chapter 4, where we saw those were those first ministry words, then they, t- they took a walk. Remember I told you Jesus went and took a walk, and he saw the disciples, the first four, and he called them out of the family business. You two, come with me, right in front of their dad. He's like, I don't, I don't. and I told you all I know nothing about the dad. He could have been a precious little man. I have no idea, but he could have been a, you know, hind end. We don't know. We have no idea what he was or who he was or how toxic or healthy he was. But Jesus was like, it does not matter. I'm calling you out of that. I'm calling you to something new. That's what he did. Now, let's go down in, in chapter 4. I want us to go down to verse 23. I'm going to read a little portion right here of this. I should have marked it. I'm sorry. Verse 23 says, And Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching, say teaching, in the synagogues, proclaiming, say proclaiming, the gospel, there's the good news of the kingdom, and healing, say healing, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went into all of Syria, another place where they drive on the wrong side of the road, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And a great multitude followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, so what he does is he calls these disciples out, and then he shows them the stuff that they are going to be doing. And you and I are going to get in that in the weeks to come. We're going to get into the stuff that we should be doing, actually doing. So he, we see here it says he's teaching. I went over this in week one. He's teaching. He's proclaiming. He's healing. He's teaching, proclaiming, healing. You see it over and over again all through the New Testament where Jesus is walking on the earth. And then he gives his first sermon. And I want us to read it. It's in chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And I'm going to read two translations of this. And he went, and sorry, so all that just happened that I just read. And then immediately it says, and, it's a continuation on. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down with his, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you cast insults, when when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you you falsely on account of me rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who went before you I'm going to read the same verses in the amplified seeing the crowds he went up to the mountain and when he was seated his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed Happy to be happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the poor in spirit, the humble who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed and enviably happy with a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace, are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, happy, blithesome, joyous, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, 
regardless of their outward conditions, are the meek, the mild, the patient, the long-suffering, for they shall inherit the earth, exclamation point. Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Blessed and happy and to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed, happy, enviably fortunate, and spiritually prosperous, possessing the happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, and especially conditioned by the revelation of his grace, regardless of their outward conditions, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed, enjoying in enviable happiness, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's sa- favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed and happy and enviably fortunate and spiritually prosperous in the state in which the born-again child of God enjoys and finds satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of his outward conditions, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, for doing and being right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, to be envied, and spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward conditions, are you. When people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you, falsely on my account. Be glad and supremely joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, strong, and intense. For in the same way, people persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you today, God, that as we unpack this, that your spirit would be here, the spirit that it would rest on us as it rests on Jesus, that we would have a place here where your spirit would be comfortable, would feel welcome. We ask for the anointing to come. We ask, God, that you would illuminate the scriptures to us today. Help us leave here better than we came. Help us have fresh, new rhema revelatory words for our own lives today in Jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. some people call this the sermon on the mount or the beatitudes right A, a beautiful attitude of heart you know what you could have in your heart but I will tell you this is never to be taken out of context now what what I mean by that is The whole of the passage is the heart of the passage, beginning with, blessed are you, ending with, on account of me. So, you know, don't just reach in there and grab one. Um, Consider the whole when you're thinking about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. Now, the word blessed is a Greek word. I'm going to try to pronounce it, makarioi, and I'm going to spell it, M-A-K-A. R-I-O-I, makarioi. And this is what it means to be characterized by the quality of God. That's what it means to be blessed or fully satisfied. Fully satisfied. That's what it means. Now, this satisfaction that this is talking about is not due to... um, Life circumstances. We just read that, right? We just, we just saw ev- every one of those passages said that. So it's not even on the fulfillment for you and I on the Beatitudes that we do all of this, but it is because this sense of fully being satisfied only comes as being a believer in Jesus Christ and him living inside of us. I'm going to use a word, indwelling, making his home inside of us. That is where full satisfaction comes for you and I, regardless of circumstances. We have to be kind of careful translating uh, happy as this Greek word, makarioi, that is the same word that is also connected to the word happen, which means, you know, that like, I don't know, like, like something just happened. I have no explanation for it. This doesn't just happen. Kingdom life doesn't just happen. And so 
we can be happy because we have favorable circumstances in our life. We've all experienced that, right? We love that. We love that season, right? You're like, whoo, thank you, Jesus. We're out of the winter, going into spring. It's awesome, isn't it? But we can only be truly blessed because of God, because of Jesus indwelling, making his home within us. That is the only place where blessings come from. So blessedness is a basic condition created by Christ's indwelling, making his home in our hearts, and that brings the fundamental, foundational satisfaction in the life of a believer. <coughs> that's why, that's why you know, is it Paul that's like, nothing can separate me from the love of God. You know, not shipwreck, not beatings, not prison, not anything. Nothing can separate me because it's not about a circumstance, right? It's a foundational, uh, fundamental satisfaction we feel because of the indwelling of Christ in our lives. Blessedness is not static. It is progressive, and I just read that to you in both versions. There is a progression to this blessing, to this blessedness. And I don't know if you caught that, but Jesus here laid out an actual formula for happiness. A formula. I love it. It's awesome when you see it. We all are familiar with the passage in Psalm 33:12. Happy and blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, right? And we know that to be true. We've, we've heard that our whole lives. Christians, I believe, should be the happiest people on earth. They actually should be the happiest people on the earth. And um, because we're his people, and he's our king, and he's indwelling us, and so we should be happy regardless of the circumstances, you know. We should, we should go, okay, the outward circumstance, but I still have this, I have this thing in here that's still fully satisfied in him in him and that's awesome so here are the the three progressions that you're going to see as we move through this sermon number one is brokenness there is no getting away from brokenness number two is godliness godliness and number three is righteous living so happiness begins with brokenness brokenness leads us into godliness right and then we walk in righteousness until the cycle begins again. Brokenness, which leads us to godliness, which leads us to righteousness. It is the progression of the Christian life on earth. So we're going to go through each of the Beatitudes now. Uh, number one, the first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this is in verse 3, and it says here, I won't read the long version to you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here, here's this kingdom language that we're talking about. So what does this mean? Poor in spirit, the definition is spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty. Now, I used to be a cheerleader. I know that's shocking in high school and college, and, and when we were in high school especially, we had this cheer, we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you, and the people on the other side would say the same thing back, you know, we did that whole thing, and we even would call it spirit week or pride week, we would call it pride, we, we had pride in our school, we had pride in our um, <clears throat> our team and so you know it was called we I went to Western Carolina University where the catamounts it was called catamount pride the pride club are the donors who were the alumni who had gone on to start their careers and they gave money back to the school and it was it was called pride having school pride that's what it was and that's what you know as a cheerleader you're like the front lines like you know, whatever, that crazy, like, manic looking, I'm sure. I can't, I don't even know. Thank God I have no videos of all that. But, you know, you're like, ah, you know, <clears throat> hours and hours every Saturday during the ball game. But God, though, calls us to a spiritual poverty, to a spiritual poverty. So this is, this is what I, I mean by saying that. It means, now, now remember, we're going to balance our diet. Remember? Hang on, hang on to dominion from last week. I want you to hang, hang on to that over here. Just ha have a hold of it. But what I mean by spiritual poverty is that I am not anything enough, and neither are you. 
Have you ever been in Hobby Lobby or in a house somewhere or just walking through a store or something and you see those signs, I am enough. You are enough. We're not enough. I've said this before. I've said it on the podcast. We are not enough. In and of ourselves, we absolutely are spiritually impoverished without the Lord. Before him, we are absolutely nothing. And it is important for us to get our heads around that and remember that sometimes. I'm not enough. Usually when you see people trying to tell themselves that, they're dealing with some kind of self-confidence identity issue. Go back, go back to Jesus. Look back to him. I'm not enough, but he is. And in my weakness, his power is perfected. I don't know about you, but I need some power perfected in my life. Every day. Every day I'll take that. Every single day. All of us need it. It sounds a bit depressing, but I promise it's really not. It's really that this is really the formula to happiness, for real. Uh, this is not, you know, one of those messages, this part right here being poor in spirit, that people line up to hear. Right, it's kind of like what Tim was talking about Sunday morning. It's not, it's not one of those kind, but we need it because mine and your lifting, our encouragement actually comes after the brokenness. It does, it does. It comes after the brokenness. We need to both repent, which Jesus calls us to do, first words, and then we need to be lifted and encouraged. Right. And reminded again who we are. And that's what happens. So it's a steady diet of just feel-good messages. You know, we all like them because, you know, whew, the world is hard out there. You know, you're like, can somebody give me some good news? Because I am just wore out with all of it, to be honest with you. And, you know, but, but it, it makes us feel like warm and fuzzy. You know, you feel all gushy and like, oh, I feel some kind of way. It's so awesome. But on Monday morning when the culture slaps you in the face, Warm and fuzzy does not give you strength and power. It does not. It will not. But this does. When you begin to go, I really am nothing apart from him. I'm spiritually impoverished without him. It's just something. It's amazing. And what happens when that ha can happen to us, when we just feed on a diet of the feel-good stuff, we end up thinking, because the culture does slap us on the in the face on Monday morning, and we, we do end up thinking after that, maybe the kingdom doesn't really work for me. That's what we think. We think it's the kingdom's fault, right? We don't realize that it's for us, it's a mindset shift in how we are, th are viewing our perspective on it all. Because remember, everything in the kingdom is, is upside down. It's quite backwards, to be honest with you like the Aussie way of driving. So if you want to be encouraged and lifted up, then become broken and lowly. And I'm not talking about putting sackcloth and ashes on and just acting like, you know, just pray for me. I'm under it right now. You know, I'm just, I'm really carrying a load right now. You, you don't have to do all that. It's just a place in your heart before you and the Lord that you're like, Lord, I know. I know I am hanging on by the skin of my teeth. You ever feel that way? That's broken. That's poor in spirit. Jesus, I need you. I'll tell you something else just as an aside. Those of you that have your prayer language, right there, use it. Right there, build yourself up. Begin to pray in tongues. Use your spirit, your, your prayer language, and begin to pray. And you will, you'll begin to see something change. Number two is, blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. It's in verse 4. And that's exactly what it says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So first what you're doing is you're acknowledging your need, right, in this broken place. Then the comfort comes. How beautiful is that, right? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, There is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I pray that sometimes over prodigals. When people come to me and tell me they have prodigal children, whether they're young or whether they're old, I pray that, 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 that the Lord will cause a godly sorrow in their hearts. Because how many of you know sorrow is not going to kill them? But it worketh repentance in their life. The brokenness leads to godliness, leads to righteousness. The sorrow that God allows in mind in your life is not to harm us. 
<coughs> it's not to harm us. Um, it really only produces the good stuff, even when it's hard sorrow. You will see that given to the Lord, it will begin to produce good things in our life. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. That is one of his names, the comforter. Now, God sends him to comfort you and I in our brokenness and in our mourning. You know, and, and you know, you, we mourn. You don't have to just mourn because somebody has died, right? We mourn for all different kinds of losses. There are lots of things that we lose, and we're just like, I'm more, I told you all about the incandescent light bulb. I mean, when that thing went away and everything was LED, I was like, I'm having a hard time. I just am like, I'm going to Lowe's and buying every incandescent light bulb. I mourned that whole thing of that. And you, you can mourn all kinds of stuff. Any kind of loss, you can mourn, and he will shine. God's light will shine on that, on, on gra the grace, and give us grace. Give it to us so we can get through it, the brokenness and the mourning. He will help us. How many of you have a comforter on your bed? Yeah. So what, I mean, why do you think it's called that? How do you feel when you lay down at night and you pull it up around you? You feel comforted. You feel secure, right? That's what happens. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a place of comfort for us. Even when you and I may have put ourselves in, a, in an atmosphere of mourning or brokenness, our brokenness may have even come by our own bad choices, but you're still in the place of mourning and brokenness, right? You're still there, but, but God's so good that he's like, I got a comforter. I'm going to wrap you in the comforter. I'm going to wrap you in this. It's so, it's so beautiful. That is one of the reasons why, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to tack something on the end of it, but it is one of the reasons why I feel that, and I, I think I could back this up very soundly in the word, I feel that depression is very ill-fitting for the Christian. It's just, I'm not saying that there aren't times that people need to get help and get through things. But sitting down in that place and wrapping that around you as your new identity, it's an ill-fitting place. So when it comes knocking, and it does in everybody's life, just say, there is actually nobody home. There's nobody home because I'm going to stay in the place of brokenness and receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which pulls us out to a new place, right? It helps us walk in a new day. So the progression, here we go on. Number three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that is <coughs> verse five. And mine says, blessed are the gentle. So meek and gentleness are the same things they are sustained these these people that are meek <coughs> which I hope we all have a bit of this are sustained in our lives through an attitude of humility and meekness now notice I'm not saying weakness meekness is actually let me tell you what it is meekness it's a Greek word praus p-r-a-u-s and here's what it means it is a term used to describe the most powerful stallion or horse that has been broken and is now able to be ridden. That's what meekness is, Prouse. That's what that looks like in mine and your life. How many of you know those stallions are not weak? But they have allowed a breaking to come and a beauty to come from the breaking so that now they're able to be used by their rider. They're able to be used for what they were created to do. Isn't that great? So I want to say to you, y'all are talented, beautiful, strong, you're smart, you're influential, every one of you made in God's image. You're capable, you're creative, you're a pleasure to be around, you're awesome. All of that is true, but you're all that under the control of meekness, right? You are a queen. You are, you know, you are ruling and reigning. I mean, all those things were co-heir with Christ. I wrote down all kinds of things. You are given dominion on the earth. You have spiritual gifts. You are needed. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But all of that has to come under the control of meekness, humility, and lowliness of heart. All of it. All of it. Remember Moses? I know y'all are like, no! Because we were so many weeks studying Moses. Remember him? Schooled in Pharaoh's court, 
a brilliant thinker. I mean, you know, I know they, it says, it's documented, he had a harder time with speech, but the Bible says he was powerful in word and deed, right? He led millions of people. That's powerful. Do you know what his greatest attribute was? In Numbers 12.3, it says concerning Moses that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was the meekest or gentlest man. All that gifting, all that leadership ability, so beautiful, under the control of meekness. Amazing. Jesus defined himself one way, too. One way, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and meek of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. How many of you know when you have rest in your souls, you're fully satisfied and happy? Yeah, isn't that great? I love that passage. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the fullness of the Godhead, all things exist in him and through him and by him. They are held together, and he called himself meek and gentle. That's amazing. All that harnessed power by meekness, by prowse. It's beautiful. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to read it here. Yes, for they shall be satisfied. There's that word satisfied again, or filled. See, here we are. We're moving through the progression of this. I don't know if you can see it. And as we go through, we just say, God, I just want to stay low in my spirit, woman. I want you to be able to use me. And that's what it looks like to hunger and thirst after righteousness. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, happiness literally comes from you and I being empty of ourselves. That's like, way, yay. It's just so, it's hard. That's hard to do when you live on the earth because everything around us is screaming the exact opposite. Self, you know, you do you, you, you know, you know all the thing. Do what makes you feel good, whatever. There's every kind of, you, you only live once. Uh, all the things. We've all heard all of it. And God's like, I just need you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can you just do that? And then I can use you. I can take you. And, and I don't mean use you. Like God doesn't use us. But you know what I'm saying. He has a tool in his hand to affect the world around us. That's how he uses us. And the emptier we become of ourselves, the happier we become. It's true. I tell people all the time, if you're depressed and you're having a hard time, go serve somebody. Go pick up a meal and drop it off at their door. Go do something, just something. Go do something for somebody else. Have y'all ever been in your own mind and alone with your thoughts for so long you are sick to death of yourself? Uh, that's a bad place to get. It's a really bad place. Just there. All that time. I wonder if I said this. What are they thinking of me? What? What? That whole thing. It's exhausting. But see, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, our self is kind of emptied out because we're going through this progression of brokenness, which leads to godliness, which takes us into righteousness. It's a beautiful thing if we, you know, get get a hold of it. So ask yourself this week: What do I hunger and thirst for? So for Valentine's Day, which is coming up, I feel pretty sure that Tim's going to take me somewhere swanky for dinner. I don't know. But let me just, let's just say he is. Let's just say we're going to go out on a date, which we will go somewhere. But what if I, on the way there, stopped off at McDonald's and went ahead and got, you know, like a number, what, I don't even know what they are. I, I would say <laughs> maybe Chick-fil-A, like a number one with no pickle. You know, what if I did that before I went to, you know, this nice swanky date restaurant for Valentine's Day? How would he feel? Just think about how he would feel. How do we think God feels when we fill up on all the lesser things? All the lesser things of the world. And we have room and time for all of that. But we just don't wait and go to the nicer restaurant and get the better thing that's healthy, healthy that's good for us. Right? We go get the seed oil, a stupid McDonald's. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't fill up on lesser things. Self-gratification and self-fixes will never fill you. It will never fill me. We can never fill ourselves. 
self-gratification, self-fixes. And, and we have to make space for this. That's what Tim was preaching about Sunday, margin. You have to make space for it. It doesn't just happen. Ask God to fill you with the right things, and I promise you will be filled. You will be satisfied. One of my favorite passages, Michelle can probably do this one by heart, but I'm just going gonna to look it up, Michelle, because I can't. Um, it's Isaiah. Hold on. Isaiah 55. Yep, it's a good one. It's going to be good, y'all. Just wait on it. 55, 1 and 2 says, Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. That's a word. We could just close it up right now and be done without the rest of the message, but I won't do that to you. I won't leave you hanging. Okay, so back to it. I love, I love that passage. Number five, blessed are the merciful. For they, how many of you have ever needed mercy? Yep, you, you, yes, yes, everybody needs mercy. Yeah, mercy is one of those things that we always want and we have a hard time remembering to give it to people when they might need it, right? You know what I'm saying? So you're like, I need mercy. You know, have you ever played that game when you were young? You know, where you bend your hand back and you're like, oh, my God. You know, like my brother used to do that to me. I was like, mercy. I mean, because he was so much stronger than me. I was like, he's going to break my hand. But you know what I'm saying, that whole thing. God doesn't do that to us. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is having pity, literally pity, on one that is less fortunate than you. It is a heart posture that wants to help them, that you want to actually help them. You know, I've heard it said that, you know, mercy is not getting what we do deserve, right? And grace is getting what we don't deserve, right? We, we don't really deserve grace, but we get it. And mercy, you know, we don't deserve that, but we get it anyway, don't we? It's awesome. He showers all of that on us. Number six, short and sweet, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's, a, that's kind of a big thing. And I would say, you know, we know that all of us are going to see God when we go to heaven one day. We understand that. But I think that um, we can have a pure heart here and have vision of God here on the earth. C.S. Lewis once said that the purer a person's heart is, which is a journey all its own, the clearer the vision is that they have from God of God. From God of God. The clearer, the purer our heart is. Well, how do we get there? You just say, purify my heart, O Lord, like David did. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a clean heart. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. That, that's, a, that's a hard one, right? That's, that was, that's one of those like, mm, okay. When you are making peace, you have to do something. You actually have to um, do, you know, they're two different things. I put in my notes, peacekeepers are usually miserable. Just ask Switzerland. Everybody ends up hating them. You know, <laughs> all the sides end up hating them because they're trying to make peace everywhere, and you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that in the face of evil. You must choose, right? You must make a choice. That's, that's the truth. Now, my mother-in-law had a statement, and she taught all of us kids this. She would say this all the time, especially if we were, if she noticed that we were just kind of going along with the crowd. She would say this, confrontation brings change. Confrontation brings change, and that's the type of peacemaking that you and I are called to do. We're, we're called to confront what is happening around us that is not godly, biblical, and wrong in order to enact change, biblical change, the kind of change that God wants. To bring God's peace into a situation, sometimes you have to make peace. You have to actually make it. And it says there, that verse says that they are the true sons of God, peacemakers. Then we venture down to verse 10. 
Blessed are the peacemaker, oh, sorry, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, you may do all the things and make your progression through all of the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes. You may, you may be able to do that. We're all, we're all going to do that sometimes. You know, sometimes we hit it, sometimes we don't hit it. But all of us are going to do that, and you may still be persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the part I was telling you at the beginning. Blessed are you, and then this part at the end, on account of me. That persecution comes on, the, on account of me. That's what Jesus is saying. Because of me, you're being persecuted. Now, it may not feel like that to you. You may feel like someone's just attacking you or someone's smearing your name or someone's telling a falsehood or a lie or whatever about you. You, you may not have any. You're like, I don't even know. What did I ever even do to that person? Like, why? You know, you don't, we don't know sometimes why the persecution comes. But I can tell you most often I have found that it's spiritual warfare in nature. It will have a spiritual warfare component. And there's something about your spirit right, which is the indwelling of of the Holy Spirit, that you are now making a place where Christ lives and dwells. He lives within us. And when that happens, I will tell you that is an irritant to the actual world we live in. When you leave that this building, it is an irritant out there. And that's when persecution comes. And we see it right now. And I don't even think we've seen even a glimpse of what we're getting ready to see. So persecution comes, and this is that part of it that we know. But you know what? If, you, if, if a Christian never experiences persecution in their life, they have never truly taken a stand for the things of God. They have never stood for the kingdom of God. If, they're not, if you're not being persecuted at some level, some of the time, you're not making a stand on anything in your life. So the progression, the brokenness, the godliness that comes through that, and godliness, which leads us to righteous living, righteousness. It's awesome. And all of that is the exact formula for the pursuit of happiness. That is the pursuit. Brokenness, godliness, and righteousness. Now, the Greeks believed all this happiness was only to be experienced in the afterlife. That's what they believed. But for the believer, we know that this kingdom of God principle, this happiness, this first sermon Jesus ever preached, we know that this begins the moment that someone gives their heart and their life to Jesus. We know we, we were those people at one time. You, you may be a new Christian, and that has just happened for you. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. That's why he said it is here. So the fruit of our life, of our obedience, the fruits of that, for blessedness, right, being here, but they're not all given here, are they? We ju- I just read that. I just read they're not all given here. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So they will not be given all here in their, in their um, totality, but some will be given there when we're in heaven so, but we, you and I, we begin our beautiful pursuit of happiness right here. So your group question for today is, what was your definition of happiness? What was your definition of happiness? And I think it's going to be a good little um, conversation. We have 15 minutes because I didn't talk too long today. Praise the Lord. Everybody said, whoo, hallelujah. Um, yeah, we just kind of moved through it, didn't we? So what did you write at the top of your page? Eli's going to turn a little bit of music on, and we're going to share those things. Okay, you guys, you can make your way back to your seats. What was the most creative definition of happiness? Who ha- Casey, what did you say is happy? What was happiness? A day of shopping. Easy. Yeah. Simple, yeah. That's probably good. That's a good one. That's a good one. I don't even know. When y'all get back to your seats, you can stand up. I'm going to pray and send you out. J-E-S-U-S. Yeah, who said happiness is (laughs) J-E-S-U-S? That was Nicole. She Jesus juked us all. (laughs) Because I was thinking, 
a day of frivolity, shopping around at the getting spots. Um, and, you know, no, happiness is that this amazing, this amazing progression for the Christian it is, a be- is just a beautiful thing. It really is. I was talking to Nicole just after, and I was thinking, I, I, was, I was actually thinking a couple of things about, about it. I was thinking, well, she, she said, you know, Mick Jagger had it right. I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try, and he's right. I mean, there is, he can't get no satisfaction. That's exactly right, which I like that. That's good. That's a good way to end it right there. There's no satisfaction apart from him. It can only be found right there, and it doesn't just happen. It's not just a, wow, look what happened. I have no explanation for this. You can always point back to the progression and go right here. In Matthew 5, here's the progression of happiness. It's so good. So next week, we're going to begin the, um, the, the study of what, what kind of things should be happening in mine and your life if we are really operating out of the kingdom of God. Now, I mean signs, wonders, miracles, healing. Um, we're going to show up like at the attorney's office and go, I am the rightful heir Show me the goods, right? That's what we're going to talk about next week. And I don't know how long we're going to stay in that, but we're going to get into that. I felt like it was very important to lay the groundwork that Jesus laid. What, what we have done for the last few weeks is just talk about what Jesus, this is what Jesus said the kingdom is, right? And so it's impor- so important for us to do that. Now, remember next Tuesday night. There is no sisterhood because we have a full week. Don't forget the night of worship, church-wide night of worship. It's going to be incredible, so good. Um, And it may be, I don't know, we might have another one before we get in the new building. But, you know, we don't get to have them very often because it's not our building. And we have to pay a lot, a lot of money to be in that building. Every time we open those doors, it's a lot of money. So we have to be really careful about that. But So I want you all to mark that on your calendars. And pass the word around about sisterhood next week, if you don't mind. And flourish. Keep signing up for flourish. Um, it's, a, it's amazing. I mean, we may actually, I don't know, we may sell out of tickets this year. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's shaping up to be a great, great flourish. It's going to be good. So, Father, we thank you so much for our time here. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for um, happiness that all of us can have because we're attached this blessedness. We're attached to you, and you indwell and make your home with us. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for all of our inheritance as citizens of said kingdom. And, Lord, we ask that this week you would help us to even um, be mindful of the pursuit of happiness in our own lives. So, Jesus, we love you most. We love you most. We thank you that you're the kindest one we know. And so we just give you today. I ask that you would send everyone with blessings and favor and grace on their lives and bring us back together safe and sound next week. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. I love you guys.